So I have the privilege and the honor of introducing someone that I kind of know a little bit. Just a little bit. Hallelujah. Pastor Lori Smith, as some know her, or some know her as a psalmist, some know her as a worship leader, a singer, and I just know her as my beloved. And while I could run down the list of pretty amazing things about her, I think the one important thing that you should know today is that she loves Jesus with her whole heart and that she is a carrier of the word of God. And so I present to some and introduce to others, Pastor Lori Smith. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. It's, it's, it's extremely difficult not to blush after that introduction, so y'all just forgive me for just like two seconds. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's just, just, just take a moment. I want you to close your eyes and just... in the moment that is happening right now when the spirit of God is here there's such a spirit of peace and I love the way that when we worship and when we gather together that in the midst of rejoicing and the celebration that there are those times when God simply just washes over us with a spirit of peace and begins to settle some things in our hearts and I feel like that's what the spirit of God is doing right in this moment so, Father, we thank you and we praise you. We acknowledge that you are here. You are with us. And we thank you for the privilege of your presence. Thank you that as we call, God, you answer. And that you show us things that our hearts and minds couldn't even conceive. God, we thank you that as we gather together, you promised to be in the midst of us. And you are keeping your promise even in this moment. Thank you that your spirit is here. Thank you that healing is here. Thank you that deliverance is here. Thank you that salvation is here, God. Thank you that peace is here. Thank you that joy is here, God. Thank you that a spirit of freedom is here because your spirit is here. We give you glory and honor and praise. And we thank you for continuing to have your way through the remainder of the service, God. Let what is spoken and what is sung, God, minister to the hearts of those who are here to the hearts of those who are even watching live stream. God, thank you that there is no distance between us. It doesn't matter if we're in the building or if we're in our living rooms. You are still with us. Glory to God. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. Well, good morning. Um, I have the privilege and the honor of speaking during this sermon series, Rooted and Grounded. And as the Lord does, because he's just funny, right? Uh, as, we, uh, as I started to uh, kind of study and research what to talk about today, one of the first places that I went to was uh, Matthew chapter 13, right? And it's a very familiar scripture that we're going to kind of dig into today, Pastor Scripture. I won't make you read the whole chapter, I promise, because we will be here till Tuesday trying to break the whole chapter down. And I know y'all got stuff to do, so I'm going get, <laughs> to get the word out and then get you on your way. Is that okay? 
So as I was seeking the Lord and, and kind of reading and researching and studying um, about Matthew chapter 13, as you all know, that is the parable um, of the seed and the sower. And I'm reading this and I'm, you know, looking at it and, you know, we've seen it before. And I know that the slide does not say the seed and the sower. It says the seed and the soil. That is not a typo. That is on purpose. Because for the purposes of today's sermon, we're not going to talk about the seed and the sower so much. We're going to talk about the seed and the soil. And as I was kind of praying and kind of talking to the Lord and, you know, semi-fussing, semi you know, as we do, <laughs> Lord, what is this and what is that? I asked myself, I said, I, I, I get the scripture and I get, you know, what's in it and breaking it down and everything, but how does this, reply, how does this um, apply to the theme, right? How does this apply to the rooted and grounded for the church at large and specifically for new community? How is it, you know, uh, uh, addressing... Uh, being grounded in our individual faith? How is it addressing being grounded as a community of faith, the health of the corporate root system? And the Lord reminded me of something as I was reading this that changed my perspective when I started to write the sermon. And he said, remember something. The way that you receive the word individually greatly affects the way that you do community. The way that you receive the word individually greatly affects the way that you do community. So we're going to dive in. If you will stand for the reading of God's word, I promise again, I will not read the entire chapter. I'm going to have mercy on our knees and ankles today. So starting with Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. And I'm reading in the English Standard Version. And it says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And a great crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So here we have Jesus um, speaking to his disciples and followers in the first of 23 parables that are found in the book of Matthew. And Luke has 24. So it kind of shows us that they were a very important vehicle by which to communicate the gospel to the listeners. And the purpose of Jesus even speaking in parables, as we know, is to compel men to listen, to discern, and to discover the truth for themselves. And not to do a man's thinking and interpreting for them, much like the Pharisees and Sadducees did. But to say, I'm going to tell you a story. I want you to find the truth in it, what it means to you, and how this applies to your life. And in communicating this parable... 
um, you find, and, and trust me, I'm going somewhere with this, in communicating this parable, you find even in the following verses, kind of 10 through 17, how after Jesus relayed this story, you have questions being asked by the disciples, like, well, what does this mean? And, you know, why are you speaking to us in parables? Why don't you just tell us flat out what you mean? Why are you making us pretty much take the long way around? And the purpose of Jesus telling these stories and communicating these parables was to give them a readiness and to nudge them towards an awakening and a revelation and illumination. And he wanted to wake something up in them that recognized the truth and clung to it. And, you know, we all love a good story, right? We, we love a good story. And as we look at uh, TV and we read books and watch movies and things like that, we can almost always, unless it is complete trash, we can almost always find something in what it is that we're watching that relates to our lives, even from an entertainment value. And Jesus, being Jesus, knows that a good story is a great way to get past the barriers of certain mentalities and certain lives and certain experiences where there could be a commonality. Everybody recognizes what a seed is. Everybody knows what a sower is. Everybody knows what dirt is. So with all these different backgrounds and all of these different people gathered together uh, from various uh, uh, walks of life, you had, you know, you had doctors, you had lawyers you had farmers, you had fishermen, because everybody recognized the items that he used in this parable, it was a vehicle to get them to a place of understanding, if they were willing to go. So as he's communicating these parables to them, he's telling them that, you know, I know that I'm speaking in stories, but I'm only speaking in stories because you as my disciples have the ability to discern what I'm saying. You have the ability to pull the truth out of the message that I am giving you, particularly because I'm right here with you, and you've seen me, and you've eaten with me, and you've slept with me, so you've come to know me in a way that others do not know. And because of this, there's a way that I communicate that by now you should be able to understand, right? So in this example of uh, the seed and the sower, I want to talk about the seed and the soil. When you look at the parable, you notice something, that the seed and the sower are working with a fixed purpose. The seed, as we know, is the word of God. The sower, as we know, is Jesus. Both of these facts are immutable. They do not change. God does not change. His word does not change. So he has the same purpose every time he drops that seed. I want to grow something up in you. I want to germinate something in you. I want to develop something in you. I want to put a truth in you that your life will cling to and be changed by. So as the sower is sowing, it's the same process because the purpose hasn't changed. As Minister Tim said a couple of weeks ago, the message hasn't changed, right? The word is exactly the same. And God himself does not change. So the sower and the seed are fixed points in purpose. The variable is the soil. And since we know that the sower is Jesus, 
And the seed is the Word of God, which if you think about it, here you have the Word of God, living Word of God, sowing the Word of God. He's literally sowing himself into us, right? So the sower is Jesus, the seed is the Word of God, which makes us the soil. And depending on which school of thought or which theologian that you follow or believe, the soil could be our hearts, the soil could be our minds, the soil could be our way of life and our experiences, but we are the soil. And as the word of God has a fixed purpose, and as Jesus Christ himself has a fixed purpose, we are the ones who determine whether that purpose is fulfilled or not. So in this parable, you see the soil in four different conditions, and each one of those conditions directly affect what the seed is allowed to become. Uh, you don't have to stand, but I'm going to break down and get to my Selah moments, starting with verse 18 in the same chapter, which will be on the screen. It says, hear then the parable of the sower, as Jesus is explaining, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. Now, the path, as you know, because we live in Chicago, you know that walking paths, or some translations say footpaths, have a lot of people traffic. And when you get a lot of people traffic, you get chaos, you get crowding, you get noise, you get litter, you get dirt, you get all of these different things because of how busy that area is. And if you're walking along a path, eventually the dirt underneath you becomes impacted. And it becomes impacted in a way that even though it is soil, it starts to mimic something other than itself. Because it's no longer soft, it's no longer pliable, it's no longer moist, it starts to imitate the thing it's lying on top of. And people, when they're walking down a footpath, don't think, you know, I shouldn't walk so hard because I'm going to impact this soil. It's going to turn hard like a rock. It's going to, you know, not be able to be turned over. If anybody wants to cultivate anything on this ground and I stomp up and down on it, they're not going to be able to plant anything here. They don't think about that. They just tread on the path. And there are a lot of places in our own lives where there has been so much traffic, so much noise, so much chaos, that the soft parts of our hearts and mind have become hardened just by wear and tear. And so in these particular areas, when the word of God would come, when the word of God would be sown, when the word of God would be fruitful, because the footpath is so busy and there's so much traffic, the birds, chaos, confusion, all of these things, like birds, come and snatch the seed away before it can even be planted. And the Bible talks about this kind of traffic in 1 Corinthians 14 and 10, which brings me to my first Selah moment. Selah moment number one. Developing a relationship with God's word means learning to fall in love with things that don't make sense. 
1 Corinthians 14 and 10 says this, there are many voices in the world and none of them are insignificant. All of them are fighting for dominance and importance and if I don't understand the meaning of those voices, nothing will make sense to me. When we have a lot of noise in our ears, things start not to make sense. It brings confusion. It brings cloudy thoughts and it brings crowding of our lives. And things start not to make sense. If you think about it, like I have an active life, you all have active lives, and then there are things that are acts of us that just don't make sense, right? Uh, okay, Lord, I'm in a financial crisis and you're asking me to tithe. This doesn't make sense. Like, I haven't had a job in six months and they're talking to me about giving. This doesn't make sense. Like, I'm exhausted and I have to work tomorrow, but you want me to be in community. This doesn't make sense. You know, as we're doing communion, Jesus, you want us to eat your flesh and drink your blood? This doesn't make sense. But when we're developing a relationship with God and a relationship specifically with his word, we have to learn to love the things that don't make sense. It doesn't make sense to give financially when you're in a financial crisis, right? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense if you don't feel well to get dressed and come to church anyway. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to be the only believer in a space and to highlight that light when it's easier to blend into the darkness. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to put that type of attention on yourself. It doesn't make sense to have those types of conversations. It doesn't make sense. But it brings me to my 1B point of this Selah moment. Most of the things that make sense don't require faith. And most of the things that require faith don't make sense. And to be in a space where you have a million things going on in your life, and then here comes someone saying, hey, I know that you've had this experience. I know that you're going through these things. Can I share the word with you? No, I mean, yes, you could give me the word, but I want, uh, I want answers. What do you mean wait in his presence? This has to be done tomorrow. Wait? That doesn't make sense. I want to break this particular area. You want me to pray? Okay, then what do we do? No, just pray. No, no, then what do we do? No, just pray. It doesn't make sense. And it's the reason why in this Rooted and Grounded series, as all of the speakers are speaking, you'll find the common theme always kind of pulling you back to building a relationship with the word and pulling you back to building on the relationship that you already have with God. Because with walking this walk, you're going to keep running into things that take faith because they don't make sense. It didn't make sense for me in 2020 after getting a cancer diagnosis to start evangelizing. That didn't make sense. Right? Because I should have been sitting in my own thing, right? I should have been fully present in what was going on with me and acknowledged that and acknowledged the pain and acknowledged all those things, which I did. But I also knew that the thing in me that was bigger than me couldn't stop because of that. That's the, so that to me took faith, although it didn't make sense. 
And how many times is there a demand put on us in a period of crisis, in a period of turmoil, in a period of trauma to do the things that don't make sense? But when that seed falls upon ground that has been trodden under the cares of life and chaos and all of these different things, it's difficult for it to take root because the ground is so hard. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, and as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. 22 says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. When there's no root inside of us, it is very, very difficult for God to accomplish the things that he wants to with his word. It's very, very difficult. And you find, and I'll use myself, I find that when I allow the cares of this life and tribulation and persecution to determine the way that I respond to the truth of God that I know, it becomes extremely difficult for me to move from one moment to the next in victory because there's no root of truth in me to fight the thing that's coming up against me. And the Bible talks about how tribulation comes because of the word. And I know you've heard this before, and I'll say it again. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, welcome to the fight. I know some of us don't like conflict. We don't like to argue and fight. We want things peaceful. We want everything serene, and we want everybody to get along and all these things. But the Bible says that the moment revelation comes, warfare is waiting. And it's not for nothing, because if the enemy can convince us that the truth that we have received with joy doesn't apply to our life, we will have had a wonderful euphoric moment in community and then go home defeated. And he counts on that. He counts on the fact that we just get caught up kind of in the emotion of what has happened and that the truth is not in us enough to ground us when things get difficult. And I found even in my own life, in my own walk with the Lord, that there have been times where I've received the word and I knew it was the truth and the Lord blessed, I mean, just tore the church up, just, just, just acted out, right? Praising God and thanking God for the word. And then when difficulty arises, persecution arises, tribulation comes, I'm like, Lord, what happened? And he's like, what do you mean what happened? This is what happens when you receive truth. The liar comes to try to steal it. And I used to take that warfare as if I'm doing something wrong. Maybe the word didn't apply to me. Maybe I missed something. Okay, God, I'm doing everything I can. And then I switch over to, okay, God, I'm doing everything I can. And what's happening? And why does this keep happening to me? And I don't understand. And, I thought, and the Lord is saying, listen, this is what comes with re revelation. Warfare comes. 
When truth comes, there's no way in the world, and I'm sorry if I'm busting any bubbles, walking this walk means that you are serving a real God and also fighting a real devil. And what he does not want to do, and I tell my church this all the time, the thing we need to understand about our enemy is this. Ultimately, he would love to snatch our souls, right? But for some of us, we are so convinced of the one in whom we believe that that will never happen. But what we don't realize is that the enemy is okay with taking second place. He might not be able to snatch your soul, but if he can make your life miserable for the full of your time on earth, he's okay with that. If you can live 75 years defeated, he's okay with that. Sure, you're going to go to heaven eventually, but I'll make sure that nothing that God intended for you to do gets done down here on earth. Because if I can keep you wrapped up and tied up in things that have happened and in ways that you've experienced things and all of those different things, you will sure make it into heaven, but you won't be effective here. Like, I can't have you, so let me prevent you from doing me any damage. That's the way he thinks. And that's why when the word comes, warfare comes, because he doesn't want that word to settle in and start changing our lives. He doesn't want the areas where we have been traumatized and the areas that we've been hurt and the areas where we have pain and confusion and questions. He does not want the word to go in and start answering all of that. So if before that word can settle in us and take root and begin to bear fruit, he can chop it off at the head, he's going to try to do it. And it's up to us to get active in the fight for the truth that we know so that that truth can continue to germinate and live in us and bear the fruit that God intended. Like, I know you don't want to fight. I don't want to fight either, but we have to do this. Say our moment number two, when truth comes, warfare will follow. Don't resist it. Lean into it. Lean into it like a game of poker. Lean into it like checkers. Lean into it. That same competitive edge, some of y'all, I see you. Some of that same competitiveness you have when you're playing a game with your family at a gathering, we need to have that same tenacity when it comes to protecting the truth that lives in us. Like, you're not going to get over on me. No, you're not going to, mm-mm. I got, no, I'm not telling you my whole card. We're going we're gonna to play this out, right? We have to have that same level of fervency. And here's the thing, it's in us, it's just usually misappropriated for things like parking spots and traffic and Walmart. And so we got it in us. We're just applying it to all of the wrong things. You wanna hear somebody bind the devil, cut them off in traffic. Right? So it's in there. We just need to pull it out at the appropriate moment and direct it towards the actual enemy of our soul instead of the car next to us, right? So it's not foreign, it's in there. We just need to appropriate it and use it properly. If we were that protective of the word, do you know where our lives would be right now? Oh God. If we were like, listen, I don't care what happens today, you're not gonna upset my peace. I'm not gonna sit here and rehearse my traumas. No, we're not doing that today. We're gonna meditate on the word of God today and that word is going to do what it was intended. It's gonna change my life. 
That's the type of tenacity we need to have about protecting the truth of the word that is in us. And, but that tenacity comes through relationship, relationship with God and relationship with his word. When you know how God thinks of you and you know how God feels about you, you can rest assured in that. Any parent in here knows that with the relationship with your child, there are certain things you don't have to tell them. Because of relationship, they just kind of know. And it's the same way that it should be with us in the Lord. There are some things that we should know. We should know he's for us. We should know that we are already victorious. We should know that everything we need is already set in the earth and all we have to do is get it and get the wisdom to find where it is. These are things that we know because of relationship, right? And because we know these things, these things that we know should help us fight to protect what we know. Because I know God's not going to leave me, right? He's not going to forsake me. He's not going to abandon me. He's not going to embarrass me. He's not going to do any of these things because that's not who he is. And because I know that's not who he is, I can trust what he says. So this is what we fight with when things come up and we get the word and revelation and, you know, and, and Pastor, uh, uh, the pastor, um, Last week, thank you, Ray Chang preached and Minister Tim preached and all these things. And we get all this great revelation and it's good and we have this great experience and we leave out. Our hearts are full and lifted. We should fight to keep that. Because it wasn't meant to just be a great moment. It was meant to change the trajectory of our lives. Let's keep going. So another translation that scripture says, when the emotions wear off and some difficulty or persecution arises, his enthusiasm fades and he drops out. One of the things that I've noticed with the church at large, universal followers of Jesus Christ, is that if we're not careful, we become addicted to moments. And we keep trying to create the moment that made us feel good, and sometimes in doing that, we miss the thing that God is trying to do. And I often kind of equate it to like um, the euphoria of addiction, right? When you get that high, you know, and it, it, it gives you a certain feeling. You feel this, this uh, uh, abandonment of cares and you feel this um, accessibility to everything. And then once that feeling wears off, you keep kind of chasing the feeling. And I find that in the body of Christ, there are a lot of people who use church to do the exact same thing. We keep kind of chasing that euphoria instead of chasing the word. And if we directed that focus to, you know, yes, we're going to feel, look, God knows us. We're human. We're going to feel his spirit. We're going to feel the joy. We're going to feel the peace. We're going to feel all those things. But it's dangerous if we allow our emotions to start to dictate the truth of the word to us. Because again, things that take faith don't make sense. And so knowing that God is with me when I'm feeling alone and abandoned takes faith. Knowing that I'm healed when the doctor gave me a cancer diagnosis takes faith. Because it doesn't make sense. I'm looking at the paper. It says cancer. But I know I'm healed. That takes faith, right? That is how the word of God grows and germinates in us. Through the moments that don't make sense 
but through the moments where we activate our faith because we know the truth and we know the giver of truth, right? Okay, let's keep going. So, Hebrews 10 and 32 says, remember the earlier days when after being spiritually enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. Again, warfare always follows revelation. And we have to fight to protect the truth of God in our hearts and in our minds. You, new community specifically, are on a trajectory to the perfect will of God for this church. Despite the things that have happened, if you notice, you continue to thrive and you continue to grow because it doesn't matter the variables. The purpose of God for this church has not changed. And God is faithful to his promise to you. Everything else connected is a variable, but the purposes of God for this church have not changed. And because of the things that have happened and because of the pandemic and all of these things, it's very easy for us to kind of lull ourselves into a feeling of mediocrity like, well, okay, Lord, when the Lord is saying, no, my purpose for you is exactly the same. And here's the thing, just as a, I'm going to say this parenthetically and then get back. Here's the thing, parenthetically speaking. It was always the will of God for the children of Israel to get to the promised land. Moses was chosen, but Moses was the variable. The promise was to get the children to the promised land. And it didn't matter whether it was Moses or Joshua. The promise remained the same and the purpose remained the same. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus was prophesied and was coming. Mary was already pregnant. When the angels appeared to Joseph, he could have said, hey, I want no parts of this. I won't embarrass her but I'm just gonna exit stage left quietly. If he had chosen to do that, the Bible would have said, and Joseph left Galilee and went to some other country. And then came Zerubbabel who took up Mary as his spouse. The point being, Jesus was coming whether Joseph was on board or not. Because the purpose of God for Mary and for Jesus had not changed. When we grab this truth, it activates our faith because we know that anything happening to us is the variable. It's not the truth because the truth of the word has not changed. And in this rooted and grounded series, the truth has to continue to be the constant while everything attacking it is the variable. Verse 22, I'm sorry, 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Here's the thing about soil. Selah moment number three and the last one. 
The soil condition is not a fixed point. It can change. So it doesn't matter if the soil has been made hardened by traffic and busyness, and it doesn't matter if thorns have tried to grow up and choke the word out of us because of the cares of life and because our schedule is just too busy and I don't understand what's going on. It doesn't matter. None of that matters when we have control over the soil. We get to decide what truth is birthed in us. We get to decide whether we will allow our past experiences, our pains, our traumas, our fears to choke the word out of us or whether we will allow the word to spring up and for that fruit to choke the trauma and the fear and the unforgiveness out of our hearts. We get to decide if we're going to remain the same or if we're going to let the Lord's word start to chip away at the rock and turn the soil over and break up fallow ground so that that ground can be soft and pliable so that the harvest that God intends for us can grow up in us. It's not a fixed point in time. It can change in any moment. As I said before, God's purpose for this church has not changed. Many variables. And as you continue as a community of faith, there will be many variables. But the purpose of God has not changed. And the word of God to you has not changed. It remains the same. Our responsibility, as Pastor Raymond said, is for us to be in a position where we are able to discern the truth and to embrace it as our own and allow that truth to grow up and to develop and to multiply in us. The sower and the seed have a fixed purpose. What will the soil do? What will the ground say to the seed that is sown? Will it say, not now, I'm busy? Will it say, this is too complicated, I don't understand all of this? Or will it say, because I know the sower, I'll trust the seed? Because I have relationship with the sower, I will develop relationship with the seed. And I will allow the purpose of God to take root in me, to ground me, to settle me, to strengthen me, to comfort me, to guide me, to direct me. And allow that fruit to develop and let the fruit remain. And allow that fruit to feed someone else's faith. Hallelujah. You may